Thank you, worship team. Thank you for coming this morning. You may be seated. And as, uh, as I sort of jump in, I want to just start by saying it's a special joy for, for Katie and I, for the, our family to be here. It's been a long two months and two days uh, since uh, September 17th when we were last here uh, to preach. And we were very excited to be here. We've experienced the bittersweetness of the transition from Trent side to James North, right? You, you can understand the, the transition from living in the beautiful Kawartha Lakes cottage country and moving down into downtown Hamilton. But I'll tell you, there's an excitement about it. It's very excited. I want to say thanks uh, to the elders, right? Uh, David, Tim. Pete, uh, Andrew, uh, for welcoming me in this week uh, to our, my first elders meeting. Paul, you know, you've been so helpful in these last month and a half as we've been sort of keeping arrangements and figuring things out, and, and already Paul's trying to tell me everything. I have a lot to learn, but he's been gracious, and uh, he's walking with me slowly and graciously. Uh, I want to say thank you to Dwayne, even though Dwayne's not here. He has been very gracious in these last couple of months as well. We've had time to connect a little bit, and he's been very helpful in this transition. In fact, at our Fellowship National Con Conference a couple of weeks ago, which I went as representative, representative of James North, uh, Dwayne actually taught a, a workshop on church governance. And so I thought, I'm going to go, because he's probably going to be talking about James North. So I went and learned a little bit from him from that. So thank you, Dwayne, uh, if someone could pass that on to him. Uh, thanks for your, your helpful, helpfulness for this time. Uh, Tim Strickland, oh, the, there he is. Uh, thank you for coming and being part of this, and I know I've appreciated the time I've spent with you over these last years uh, talking about revitalization and leadership, and, uh, and even our days talking about church fostering. That was fun. Really loved doing that. Look forward to more of those times together, too. And then Philliams. As we affectionately know him, Phil Williams, we call him Philliams, uh, I've met a lot of people in my life, and Phil, you're definitely one of them. <laughs> That's one of Phil's lines that Kathy wouldn't let him use. Kathy, thanks for coming this morning as well. I'm glad you're here. But I, I appreciate Phil, like, for the time, we, we, we sit and have coffee on his back porch, looking over the lake, talking about church and leadership and, and just life in general, and uh, thanks for your insight, for your wisdom, and, and thank you also for pressing on the bruise every now and then. Uh, for, for, my, for my sake and for the sake of the church. Uh, it's made me a better leader, so thank you for, for that and for making the drive this morning. Now, keep your eye on those two because we might see them every now and then. They do have two sons who live in the not-too-distant uh, vicinity. As I've gone through this last month, I've, I've had a number of guys I've talked to, a lot, a lot of friends that said to me, what are you going to preach on your first Sunday when you get to James North? And when I tell them, well, we're in a series on the seven churches of Revelation, I get this look like, what are you thinking? Like, Revelation on your first Sunday? <laughs> now, you've got to realize, this series was planned before we knew when I was coming, or even if I was coming. It's probably been planned for a little while, if I'm correct. Paul, Paul's planned this. But I really didn't see any reason to switch it up. And, and I want to tell you why. If you look at what we're looking at today... Well, I want to read you one short piece of one verse in today's passage. Revelation 3.8 says this, Behold, I set before you an open door. It kind of seems appropriate to me that this is the passage for today. 
the, the Lord has set before us an open door. So James North, today we stand together in front of an open door. And I believe that door's been placed there for us by the Lord. See, walking through an open door means leaving one place and entering another place. But walking into that new place doesn't mean we have to forget the past. In fact, I think we should remember and celebrate the past. We should honor the past. We should remember. We should learn from the past. But it also means we need to start moving forward, looking to the future. What does the Lord have in mind for this local church? Are you ready to walk through that open door together? You can answer. It's okay. Are you ready to walk through that open door together? Awesome. I'm glad you said that. When they had you stand, I thought, oh, I hope they stand. <laughs> but I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of learning about Hamilton, relearning about Hamilton. Katie actually came to Mac for her first year of post-secondary. Been learning about the North End in particular. But I've also heard from numerous people connected to this church. And I've heard stories about you in the most peculiar places. Like, even in the checkout line at Home Hardware in Fenland Falls. I was standing there buying something, preparing the house for sale, and two of the employees were standing there. And one of them says, well, I used to live near there, and I actually would, would join in the live stream during COVID. The, the, this church actually built into this one lady throughout COVID. She lived down in, in Brantford at the time. Another one, a, a young adult, probably 23, 24, she said, actually, I used to attend there too. In fact, I lived with a family from the church. And I'm like, wow, like everywhere I go, people are telling me about how they're connected to this church. I've learned, I've heard, and I've witnessed. I've witnessed the work of James North. When we were here two months ago, I was able to spend some time at Coffee's On on Friday morning. This week, I saw some of the hub. I've heard the tales of soccer, of the soccer league, cross trainers, kingdom kids, the youth, the hampers coming up, by the way, volunteer, give to that. We want to see that successful. So I feel like I've learned a lot about James North, but after this week, there's so much more I need to learn, and I'm so excited about that. But I've heard the stories of you have individually and how you've collectively cared for and served the people of this neighborhood. You've cared for the students from the various towns that send kids here. And let me speak to you as a pastor from a small town who sends students to the big city. Thank you for enveloping them, for, for bringing them in, for caring for them. It warms a pastor's heart to know they found a good church. In fact, that's what you've done with prayer, right? On keyboard this morning. She's one of our Trentside girls. I'm so glad that she's landed here. But see, you've done these things, and it's not easy. It's not always easy to live with a biblical standard. When the world all around you believes that it's okay to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't harm someone else. Or even if it doesn't offend someone else. Heaven forbid you should have a differing opinion on a topic. In our day and age, often we find ourselves labeled as bigots or hateful because of what we hold from the Bible. When the reality is the exact opposite. 
We believe what we believe because we love those around us. And so it's difficult for us to stand for what Jesus has called us to do while living in a culture that doesn't understand the true state of their own souls. Like to live it with a future kingdom mindset in an instant gratification culture. And so I know your works. I've heard the stories. Now I get to see it up close and personal. Now if that sounds familiar, it's because you're in this six week of the seven weeks on the Church of Revelation, where Jesus says again and again, I know, in this case, I know your works. I know your deeds. He knows it's difficult for us to stand in, for truth in a culture that doesn't stand for truth. But you know, in each of these churches, he gives hope. He shares that there's hope for you. There's hope for us. If you have your Bible, I want you to open up to Revelation chapter 3. This morning, we're going to look at the church in Philadelphia, the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Let me read this for us. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon." Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our God and our Father, as we open up your word this morning, would you speak to us? Would you throw, show us through your spirit what you want from us? Help us to see who we are in light of who you are and who you want us to be. Lord, would you give me clarity of speech? Would you give us clarity of thought as we take in what your word says to us? And Lord, may we be able to apply this to our lives today. It's in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. The church in Philadelphia is one of only two in this series uh, that Jesus doesn't point out an area of concern. He doesn't have any kind of accusation for them. He acknowledges their situation. He acknowledges he knows what's going on. And he commends them for the way that they are living in this city. And as we're going to see, the, the church in Philadelphia is actually faithful and consistent, and they're persevering. And because of that, Jesus sets before them an open door. Now, what we, that open door is specifically, we don't know for sure, but I have two ideas I think it is. One, I think it's an open door to, to ministry opportunity, to evangelism in the here and now. I think it's also an open door to salvation and entry into the kingdom of God for eternity. 
And the church in Philadelphia, we might call an open-door church. And it's, it's my understanding that James North is an open-door church. And it's my hope and my desire that it would remain an open-door church. Do you ever stop to think about doors? I mean, doors are, we use them all the time, but do you ever think about a door? Maybe if you're in construction, you might think about doors often. But see, doors can keep people in and then keep people out. Doors can also cause anxiety. I mean, there's a few doors even in here. I don't know what's behind them yet. And I'm almost afraid to open them up. Doors can also cause excitement. You, you know the game show, Let's Make a Deal, right? Do you want to keep that door you've chosen or do you want to take door number three? Right? Some excitement there. Doors can create security. But doors also create choices. And see, we, we, we stand before a door and we have to choose if we want to walk through it or not. I'm reminded of a colleague I worked with a number of years ago who, who at a church where he would, he would actually often deliver the announcements in the morning. And when he was done, he would leave, and we were meeting in a gym at, the same, at that time as well, and, and off to the left here would be a door to the hallway. And he would often come off the, the stage after announcements, go out that door, and around to the back of the auditorium where he could be there to help and be available for whatever's happening in the service. Well, this one Sunday, as he came down the stairs, I forgot to mention, there's two doors there. He walked in the wrong door. Instead of going in the door to the hallway, he walked into the door to the sound closet, a small little closet where he kept all of our AV equipment. It didn't go anywhere, and it was dark, and the service had just started. Everyone in the room knew that he had walked into the wrong door. We were all wondering, what's he going to do? He went in, I talked to him about it, and he said like, he wasn't sure himself what to do. Should I just stay here and not be a distraction? But this is the beginning of the service. So he did come back out. He acknowledged, wrong door, and left. And everyone had a giggle, and we moved on. But see, he had those two doors to choose from. And in this case, he chose the wrong door. And we walked through many doors in our life. We walk through some known doors. When, when you're in school, you're looking ahead to the door where you graduate, the door of graduation. Or maybe it's the door to marriage or, or having children or a new career. And then there's those unknown doors, the doors we don't see coming that we have to walk through. Medical situations we didn't see coming. Accidents. Unexpected loss of work. We don't know what's behind those doors. But each time, we have to choose to walk through a door. We have to decide whether or not we want to be on the other side. We have to ask the question, what does it mean to be there instead of here? And while Jesus walked on this earth, he, he gave them a principle. He said to them, you're going to cross the door of, of walking and following and being my disciple. He said, you need to count the cost. And we quickly gloss over what he said it's become sort of that 2020 hindsight for us as we live in the 21st century. But he said this to his disciples, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus doesn't want us walking through an open door thinking it's going to be so much easier and rosy where we're going. He says, no, no, I need, you need to count the cost. Now at this point, he hadn't gone to the cross himself but his disciples would have been well aware of what that meant to bear your own cross. They would have understood that it meant 
you're carrying your cross to your own death. Jesus says, you've got to count that cost. If you can't follow me where I'm going, if you can't, you can't follow me even to your own death, then don't bother starting. So before crossing that threshold, we need to count the cost. So I want to look at this morning is what does it mean to be an open-door church? What does it mean for us to continue moving through this open door? An open-door church faithfully consistently perseveres to the end. Let's take a quick look through this passage we have before us. Philadelphia, as I said, is the sixth of seven churches in, the, in these letters, which was founded, the city was founded about uh, 3rd century B.C. It's about 80 miles east of Smyrna, and of all these seven, it's the only one that's not actually a major city. So it's like a small town. It may not be a major city, but it was a strategic city. See, it was at a crossroads. It was on the southern highway that sort of uh, linked Pergamum to South Asia Minor. So there's an east-west junction, and there's a diagonal junction. So it was a strategic city. Philadelphia was known to have many temples, right? To Zeus, to, to Dionysius. Why can't I say that one today? it's interesting, they had a a catastrophic earthquake in A.D. 17. It was so bad, the earthquake was so bad, so much devastation that the emperor actually exempted them from paying taxes so they could rebuild the city. It says here that these words are written, the words of the Holy One, the true one. As referencing the temples, it seems like this area was a temple warden, and they had, uh, had given to the emperor the title of the Son of the Holy One. And these words that Jesus is saying to write down sort of say, no, no, I'm the Holy One. I'm the true one. Uh, the real, the genuine, the ideal. I'm the one who stands opposed to what is false. He says, I hold the key of David. This is his royal claim as the Lord and head of David's house. And this key represents the power for him to make and to enforce binding decisions. See, when he makes a decision, when when he declares his decision, no one is able to remove it. So he has the authority, the power that the key of David represents. He says he's the one who opens and no one shuts. He's the one who shuts and no one opens. Jesus, as I said, is the one who gives us these opportunities, these ministry opportunities, these blessings. When it talks about him opening doors as it concerns the church, we remember that Jesus said that he would build his church. I'll tell you, as a pastor, as an elder, that is such a relief. It's not up to us to build this church. It is up to us as leadership to follow the chief shepherd, to follow where he's leading us as under-shepherds, But Jesus said he will build this church. And sometimes he closes doors. We see that in Acts 16 when Paul and his crew, they had planned to go to minister in Asia. And the Holy Spirit said, no, no, no. I'm forbidding you from going. And so they weren't able to go. And so they stayed and they ministered where they were. Jesus opened doors. Jesus closes doors. He says to us, I know your works. I know what you did. And sometimes those words being thrown at us 
could feel like they have, that we've done something wrong, even though we haven't done something wrong. We kind of get on the defensive. But in this case, it's a good thing. Jesus points out, I've seen what you've done. I see what you're doing. He doesn't point out any concerns, no rebukes to Philadelphia. Instead, he gives them an encouragement and a commendation. He says, I'm going to give you ministry opportunities. I'm going to give you access to salvation and entrance into the kingdom. Contrast Jesus opening this door with what we're going to learn about next week from the church in Laodicea. Jesus in this letter, in that letter, actually stands knocking at a door. He's knocking at a door and he says, whoever opens it, I'll come in. But see, the interesting thing about Jesus is, as much as he could open that door, he's a gentleman and he won't force himself on you. He wants you to invite him into your life. He wants you to submit your life to him. And he says, this, this church has little power. It's a small church in a small town. Really had little to no voice in their culture. But even though they had little or no voice in their culture, they see the fruit, they see the success in their weakness. And that should be a reminder to us that when we are weak, we, we may see fruit, and we have to know, and we know that that is from God. All the glory is to God. And even when we think we're strong, we think we know what we're doing, we still have to recognize that any fruit really is a gift from God. There's three descriptions I think we see in here of the church in Philadelphia. The first one is this, an open-door church faithfully keeps God's word faithfully keeps Jesus' word. Right there in verse 8, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word. So what does it mean to keep Jesus' word? Well, it simply means to preserve his word, to keep its meaning, what was intended by what he said. This church in Philadelphia didn't give in to cultural pressure. It also means for us to obey what is being taught by Jesus. And we can read all about what he taught all through the Gospels, Right? But we can really summarize Jesus' teaching in two different, uh, two different concepts he gives us. First is the great commandment. Right? Matthew 22, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus takes all the law, which is the Ten Commandments, which is the 613 other laws and commandments in the Old Testament, in the Torah. He takes the prophets, he sums it up in these four little words. Love God and love others. So open-door people love God and open-door people love others. Something interesting about the great commandment. English is really, really difficult for this, but the words you and your used in the great commandment are Second person, singular. Jesus saying, hey, you as an individual need to love God. You as an individual need to love others. Something we need to do as individuals. So we can be open-door people in an open-door church. It's a question I would have for you. Are you an open-door person? Do you find yourself delighting in loving God? Do you find yourself delighting in loving others? Do you find your heart breaks when you sin against God and you go after making that right with him? Do you find yourself putting the needs of others first? And I'm asking you this as an individual, not as a member, as an attender of James North, 
We can't be fooled into thinking that just because we're part of an open-door church means we are an open-door person. We have to be working towards that individually as well. So Jesus says, love God, love others. The second teaching he gives us we must keep is what we call the Great Commission. Or as Dan Spader, the founder of Sun Life, calls it the Everyday Commission. In other words, it's something we should be doing every day. Matthew 28, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, heads up, you may get tired of hearing those verses. I seem to come back to them a lot. And the reason I come back to them a lot is because I believe that is the marching orders for the church. We are called to make disciples first and foremost. The great commandment, the you there, was for you individually. But here, the implied you, the implied your, is second person plural. Jesus was saying this to his disciples as a group, saying, guys, now go make disciples. That means we need to do it one-on-one. We need to do it individually, but we also need to do it as a group, as a church. We need to encourage one another, send one another out, and make disciples. So an open-door church is one that's on mission to make disciples, always our first priority. And I have two big rocks personally when it comes to the local church. And the first one is that. It's strengthen, strengthened disciple-making. Strengthened disciple-making, like I said, is our first and highest priority. And for me, disciple-making is that entire spiritual path from far from God to when you're in glory with Jesus. It includes evangelism and discipleship. And we'll spend more time on this in the future. But see, no matter how good we are at making disciples, I'm pretty sure the city we're in hasn't been entirely reached. Am I right? And even if the city was entirely reached, we still need to strengthen the disciples, continue to teach them to obey what Jesus has taught. So my first big rock is strengthen disciple-making. My second big rock is intentional community impact. Now, for me, this means being a good neighbor just because you're in the neighborhood. It's something we need to do as a church, and it's something that this church is very good at. As a church, we serve the needs of the people in the North End. As individuals, we also need to serve the people in our neighborhoods. We all live in different places. Wherever you are, how do you get involved in that neighborhood to be an open-door person making an intentional community impact where you are? Are we as individuals loving God and loving others? Are we as a church making disciples? Are we impacting the community around us? Again, the hampers are a great way to impact the community. When they come, they understand, they learn about the love of God coming through us to them. The second description of an open-door church we see here is this. An open-door church consistently defends the name of Jesus. Still in verse 8, I know you have but little power, and yet you have not denied my name. Someone who doesn't deny Jesus' name is someone who stands for the name of Jesus. Someone who doesn't shy away from those conversations, not in word, not in action. It reminds me of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there in the Old Testament in Daniel. 
you recall those three young men, probably late teens, early 20s, leaders in, this, in exile, brought out with the rest of the leadership to stand in front of this 90-foot idol that Nebuchadnezzar had crafted. And they were instructed that when the music plays, everyone's supposed to bow down to this idol. Well, these young men were, were lovers of Yahweh. And there was no way they were going to fall down before this idol. The music plays and everyone bows down except for these three. They're still standing. So they get hauled before Nebuchadnezzar and, and Nebuchadnezzar says, maybe you guys just didn't understand what I had instructed. Let me give you a second chance. And these guys say, well, thanks for that, but we're not going to do it. See, see, we believe that the Lord, Yahweh, is going to re uh, reward us, is going to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to serve him. And so they give them another chance. They go out, and the music plays, everyone bows down, and these three are still standing. And so Nebuchadnezzar brings them and says, I'm going to have to throw you in the fiery furnace. Heats it up seven times hotter than usual. So hot, in fact, that the guys who are throwing them in bound, they die. And as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the furnace, something strange happens. Nebuchadnezzar's looking in, he sees, wait, I thought we put three guys in there. I see four. And they're just walking around. They're not trying to get out. They're not screaming. They're not dying. These three young men, I believe, met Jesus that day. He saved them from the fire, and they came out and, and were able to, to give glory to God. They, they stood for the name of God. That's what an open-door church does. It stands for the name of God. Jesus said in Matthew 10, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. We need to be a church that stands for the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes we're at a restaurant and it's time to pray for the meal. Do you ever feel a little sheepish? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went, were willing to stand for the name of God in the face of a fiery furnace. And sometimes we feel a little nervous praying in a restaurant, praying around our table. We need to stand for the name of Jesus. We need to spend more time with him. We need to get to know him. But can I suggest there's something even more important than you knowing Jesus? It's more important that he knows you. Some of the most difficult verses in the Bible are in Matthew. Matthew 7, right? Jesus is talking to them and says, that the, the day is going to come, people are going to come and say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Remember what Jesus said to them? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We need to stand for the name of Jesus. We need to do it for the right reason. We, we can do all kinds of great things in the name of Jesus, but if he doesn't know us, it's no benefit to us. We need to be known by him. For the sake of time, we'll jump to the third point here. 
an open-door church patiently perseveres to the end. No matter what pressures it faces, no matter what threats, what accusations, an open-door church patiently, lovingly carries on with its mission to do what it's been called to do. Even in the face of hardship. Again, from the Old Testament, we think of the life of Job. Right? He, he had it all. He had family. He had wealth. And some uh, deal with God and Satan. God allows Satan to, to, to sort of attack Job but not take his life. Job faces all kinds of loss. Loss of all his kids. Loss of his wealth. He suffered uh, painful boils. And yet throughout it all, Job praises and serves God. He patiently endures what he's being put through. An open-door church faithfully perseveres to the end. And ultimately, Jesus says, you will find your protection in me. I mean, we think about the end times. We, we, we have our, our understanding of what's going to happen. I think probably in this room, there's a number of different perspectives on what the end looks like. I know even amongst the staff that I worked on, the three pastors, we all had different end time views, right? Awe mill, pre-mill, pan mill. Do you know what pan mill is? It all panned out in the end. <laughs> we laugh, but reality is we should hold to what we understand and believe, but also understand that we don't really know what's going to happen. And, and, and we have to trust our Lord. The fact is, no matter what's going to happen in the end, Jesus says he's going to protect his church, his faithful church. Remember back even in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Right? The good shepherd takes them, takes his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice he doesn't take them around the valley, doesn't take them over the valley, also doesn't take them to stay in the valley. But the shepherd takes the sheep through the valley, walking with them. So whether or not the rapture is going to happen and we're going to be taken out before the tribulation or, or we're going to live through part of the tribulation or all of it, Jesus is going to protect his faithful church. And even that itself should give us some comfort to be able to stand for his name and to persevere. We look forward to that day when he says he will write on us the name of our God, Right? To write on us the name of our God in verse 12, which shows our character, it shows our ownership and our allegiance. Fact is, today in Hamilton, there'll be a lot of people wearing shirts showing their allegiance. The Blue Bombers, the Alouettes, and there'll be a lot of Ticats fans today still wearing their jerseys, even though they're not playing. See, when we get to the kingdom, it's like we'll put on our jersey, showing our allegiance to our God. Allegiance to our King Jesus. And what a day that's going to be when you get handed that jersey to be able to put it on and to serve and worship your Savior for the rest of your life. I want to invite the worship team to come up as I finish up here. And the question I have for you this is this, church. Is it your desire to walk through this open door? I know that I want to do that. 
It's been a great week. There's, there's a lot I've learned, and I know there's so much more that I need to learn. But I hope together we can continue walking through this door, serving our, our Savior, serving our God, impacting the community around us. May we patiently persevere until the end. And would you stand with us as we acknowledge and lift up our voices in praise to the one who made and makes all things possible.